Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. This is Tara Gleason, and I am the producer. And as part of our Navigating Change series this summer here at the Military Child Education Coalition, once again, we were able to share a clip of our parent-to-parent webinar with the College Board on the future of the SAT. Now, if you want to listen and participate in the entire training and download some amazing free resources, make sure to check out our website, at militarychild.org backslash webinars, and you're going to be able to participate in the full thing. But today you're going to be able to listen in to just a few clips. So thanks for joining us and have a wonderful Independence Day weekend. Hello, everybody. I'm Katya Pinkston with the Military Child Education Coalition Parent to Parent Webinar Team. Thank you for joining us for the future of the SAT. We have two special guests today from the College Board with us. We have Bruce Shabazz, he's the Senior Director of Strategic Military Initiatives, and we also have Priscilla Rodriguez, she's the Vice President for the College Readiness Assessments. In this role, Priscilla leads all programs and services related to the SAT suite of assessments, including the SAT and the PSAT-related assessments. Some of her background includes being a Senior Vice President at the POSIS Family Foundation and working as a strategy consultant to nonprofits and foundations at the BridgeSpan Group. We would also like to welcome Bruce Shabazz. He has been with the College Board since 2017. He is the Senior Director of Strategic Military Initiatives, where he is responsible for helping service members, families, and veterans clear a path to own their future. His background includes working as a Federal Inspector General in both the Department of Defense and also the Peace Corps. Bruce is a U.S. Army veteran who has served in various locations in the U.S., Egypt, and Germany. He retired from the Army in 2006. Thank you so much, Priscilla and Bruce, for joining us here today, and I will turn it over to you. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, we really appreciate your inviting us to be with you all today. Happy to talk with you about the future of the SAT, and you have the College Board expert. Um, I'll immediately go off script and tell a story about Priscilla. She and I first started working together when she was in charge of the College Board Opportunity Scholarship Program. And when that program initially launched, DODIA students overseas were excluded from that program. She and I worked together for about a year uh, to change that and go through the legal reviews necessary so that we could include all of our military-connected students. So she is a a great friend, but also a tremendous ally to the military-connected students. Priscilla, can you help clarify for me Is PSAT and SAT 
connected? Are they two completely different exams with no relationship to each other at all? Thanks, Bruce. And again, thank you for having us and for sharing that anecdote. Bruce was a real champion. I was proud to work with him to make that scholarship program available to military-connected families around the globe. So thank you. In answer to this question, the PSAT, there actually are two of them. So there's what's called the PSAT 8-9. That is for 8th or 9th graders, as the name suggests. And then the PSAT that is quite well known, so either the PSAT or the PSAT 10, really form an integrated set of assessments that culminates with the SAT that is ultimately used in college admissions, which we'll be talking a lot about today. But they are truly integrated. They're meant to be a stepping stone path for students to walk so that they can, starting as early as eighth or ninth grade with the PSAT 8-9, get kind of progress checks on how they're doing with key benchmarks related to what they learn in school and what they'll be asked to demonstrate ultimately on the SAT. Zooming in on the last two of, the, of this set of three, the PSAT 10 or, or PSAT NMSQT that students take in 11th grade actually is on the same score scale as the SAT. The only difference is that the highest score a student can get on the PSAT NMSQT is a 1520, whereas on the SAT, the highest score is the famous, you know, perfect 1600. But otherwise, they really are on the same scale, and that's very intentional. So that again, students, parents, and the educators that support them can track students' progress over time as they walk through uh, these different sets of assessments in preparation for um, ultimately the SAT. And let's talk a little bit about PSAT and SAT practice. So the question is, what is the best practice? It's a really important question and, and one that I'm really happy to share with the families and the professionals uh, who are joining us today. Specifically, a resource that we partnered with another nonprofit organization called Khan Academy. They're really leaders in online teaching and learning. We partnered with them back when we redesigned the SAT in 2015 and 2016 because we knew that until that point, there had been large inequities in how students were able to practice and prepare for both the PSAT and MSQT and then especially the SAT. And those inequities were not ones that we were comfortable existing any longer as a mission-driven nonprofit organization. So together with Khan Academy, we developed a free online and importantly personalized practice tool called Official SAT Practice on Khan Academy. The website is satpractice.org. And what it does is it allows students, there's kind of two ways for students to get personalized guidance on what parts of those tests they should focus on and practice by using sets of questions and video-based tutorials. One is if a student has taken the PSAT and MSQT, they can actually link their College Board and Khan Academy account, import how they did on the PSAT and MSQT, and then the Khan Academy tool runs a diagnostic of sorts and helps the student see the areas of the assessment that they are already really strong in and don't need to spend a lot of extra time practicing on versus the areas where they do have room for growth and then can set up a personalized practice plan for them could be as little as 15 minutes a day, it could be an hour a week, that actually gives them real 
SAT questions that are tied to those skill areas where the diagnostics suggested they could focus. If a student hasn't taken the PSAT and MSQT, they can still get that personalization and that focus on where to practice by taking a full-length practice exam. We make many of them available on the Khan Academy tool. And then students will get that same focused uh, personalized diagnostic that helps them spend their valuable time in the best way possible. So can we talk a little bit about some of the other opportunities? I saw on $350 million in scholarships. How can we get our hands on some of that money? It's a great question. And again, uh, I think an area of the SAT suite of assessments that many aren't familiar with. So I think, you know, the SAT in particular and the assessments that precede it that are, are really all about that preparation and that confidence building are best known for its use in college admissions, which of course is very important. We're going to talk a lot more about that as this session goes on. But the SAT and the PSAT and MSQT that immediately precedes it in either 10th or 11th grade for students really importantly also unlock the doors to scholarships for students, which always matter, but with the economic dislocation we're experiencing right now in the face of COVID-19 matter, I think, all the more for families. And so I'll just I'll hone in on two things there specifically. So when it comes to that PSAT and MSQT, the, the test that students can take in their school in either 10th or 11th grade, that test is directly tied to $350 million in scholarship opportunities, the most famous being the National Merit Scholarship Program. That's where the second part of that long acronym name comes from. That's you know our famous and long-standing scholarship partner. We're based on how students score on the PSAT and MSQT. They can earn national merit scholarship opportunities. But what many students and families don't know is that besides the national merit partnership, we have 20, 30 plus other scholarship partners. Some are actually for uh, military-connected families. Some are from students from different ethnic or racial backgrounds, different states. But they also use the results of the PSAT and MSQT to find students who fit their criteria for the students they want to give scholarships to, and then they reach out to those students to work with them and, and prompt them to apply for and hopefully ultimately get scholarships. So that is a really important door opener for scholarship opportunities. And then there's the SAT itself, which students generally take either spring of their junior year or fall of their senior year. That is also connected to scholarship opportunities. Many colleges and universities use the SAT scores that students submit to them on their application to decide if those students will be getting any merit-based scholarships from that college that they've applied to. And there are a number of other external scholarship organizations that will also ask students for SAT scores. So it's, again, another important way for students to be able to have access to ways to help them pay for college. And the only way to qualify for the National Merit Scholarship Program is through that PSAT and MSQT, correct? That's a great question. The, the short answer that covers like 90 plus percent of, of it is yes. That is the gateway or the doorway into the National Merit Scholarship Program. There are, for students who aren't able to access that exam for any number of reasons, there are ways that students can earn a qualifying score by taking the SAT. So I'd encourage uh, any families that are interested in making sure their student can be National Merit eligible to go to National Merit's website. They lay out really clearly there the ways that students can make themselves eligible and known to National Merit. So two things happen, as I understand it. As you take more tests, um, you become a little bit more familiar with how the questions are asked. 
and you learn how to focus your study better. Hopefully you use Khan Academy to its maximum effect. But those are the two big advantages for being able to take the PSAT or SAT multiple times. Is that correct? That is, yeah. It's really, you know, our goal in creating this kind of integrated suite of assessments and then the free practice resource on Khan Academy is to remove the surprise or the uncertainty that we think students in the past felt as they walked into the SAT, especially if they hadn't been able to access what was previously available, which was paid test prep or kind of do-it-yourself test prep with that big fat SAT book. That's how I practiced for the SAT back in the day. And so, yeah, so for students who are able to tap into any of the earlier parts of the suite of assessments, they see the kinds of questions, the structure, the timing that they will ultimately see on the SAT. But I don't want students and families to worry if their schools don't make the PSAT 8-9 or the PSAT NMSQT available. As I mentioned earlier, on official SAT practice on Khan Academy, we have a number, I want to say it's at least eight, it might be more, I just don't want to misspeak, full-length official SAT practice tests. They're, these are our tests that we've made available that students can use so that they don't feel any surprises when they head into test day. Last time I checked, we had eight full-length practice tests up there. And if our historians are to believe it is the first time that we have ever cooperated with an outside test practice organization uh, with our Khan Academy. Previously, other organizations would send people to take the test and try to memorize portions of the test, and that's how they would sell you test practice. And not, not one that we participate in, so yes. Let's talk a little bit more about the SAT itself uh, and some of the things that come from it. Sure, happy to, and I think this will start to morph us into what this means for students and families who are really in that age group right now, um, who are preparing to apply to college and, and kind of what the future looks like. Students, as they're looking at colleges uh, and universities they're interested in, obviously are taking a look at the application requirements that, that every college and university has. And especially right now in the face of COVID, we've seen a large number of universities put in place what are known as test optional policies. So happy to talk more about that in a bit. But as the name suggests, it gives students the option to submit an SAT or ACT score or not as part of their application. And so while that is certainly first a decision that each college and university makes in terms of if they want that policy, but then ultimately a very personal choice for students and families to make about if they want to submit an SAT or ACT score with their application, we feel it's our duty to just make sure that students and families know all the different reasons to consider taking the SAT. As I said earlier, the most famous is the admissions use, right? So if a school requires it, you do it. But there are other reasons. We touched on scholarships, which again, I just think is a huge point. We've heard from students in the past who didn't take the SAT, again, maybe because they were planning on applying to it to test optional college, only to find out that that meant that doors to some scholarships from the college themselves, but also outside scholarship providers, were closed to them. That is not a misunderstanding we want to have happen, so want to stress that. It also is an important way that students, this is around the recruitment point, that students can even be found, if you will, by colleges and universities. So when students take our assessments, whether it's one of the PSATs or the SAT itself, they're given the opportunity to opt in, it's voluntary, 
to a free service called Student Search Service, or SEARCH for shorthand. And what that does, with the student's permission, is allows them essentially to be contacted by colleges and universities and scholarship organizations who are looking for students like them. So these colleges and universities are able to go through and say, I'm looking for students with you know, scores in this range and a few other characteristics, and then they can actually reach out. And that's a really important way that students can find out about colleges and universities that could be a great fit for them, as well as scholarship opportunities that could be a great fit for them. So that's another key reason to consider taking the SAT. I think that recruitment piece is particularly important for the military-connected students who are untethered to where they happen to graduate college. And it gives them the opportunity to be seen by schools in other locations. And so they may want to move back home closer to where other family are at, or you know, they really fell in love with California during one of their PCS moves, and they want to go live in California. But when you're not living close to the place that you want to go to school, there are many challenges, and I think the search program can really help them overcome those challenges. Bruce, can I build on that point? Because it's, it's a great one, I'd say, in any year. This year and possibly next year in particular, I want to stress how important that is because the historical model where colleges and universities sent representatives to high schools, and it, to your, one of your points, it wasn't to every high school. I didn't go to a high school that received representatives from colleges and universities regularly. But even if you do go to a school where that tends to happen, we're hearing from our colleagues and our members in higher ed that because of COVID-19, travel restrictions and worries, there's reason to believe that those on-campus to high school visits won't be happening. And that has been a key way that many students have learned about colleges and universities and made themselves known to the ones they're interested in. And related, but separately, again, for students who have the opportunity you know, we know the, the college visit tour that some families are able to do for their students, again, a key way for students to learn about colleges and be known by them, is also going to be quite hard to do this year, even for families for whom that's normally a possibility, both logistically and financially. So this year in particular, I think it's incredibly important that students have the opportunity to join the free student search service. They do so because that's the way they can kind of raise their hand and let colleges, universities, and scholarship programs know who they are, where they are, and thus be contacted and start those really important conversations. Could you do just a very brief compare and contrast ACT and SAT for folks? Happy to. The two assessments, SAT and ACT, largely test the same span of subject material. We, we do it in different ways. We're structured with two main sections. One's math, one's like English reading, writing. They have four sections, including one uh, that's about science. We put our science content into our two sections, the, the reading, writing, math. So the structure is different, and students should get familiar with the structure and timing and the nuance of how questions are asked for the test that they plan to take. But these really are both assessments that are trying to capture the most important things that students learn in high school that have been proven to be relevant for their ability to go on and do well in, in college and beyond. I will say, and again, this, this is coming from College Board, but it's true, the, the free official SAT practice tool I referenced earlier with Khan Academy is in a league of its own in terms of its ability to allow students, families, and educators to get their hands on full-length tests, real questions, and personalized diagnostic guidance on where students should focus their valuable time in practicing 
and where they don't need to. There's other things that set us apart, but I really want to stress that one as a key way that we've really leaned into making sure that this assessment is as accessible and familiar to students as possible in a way that is completely free. And when I talk with military audiences, the analogy I make is I used to be an Army medic, and I retired a long time ago now, almost 16 years ago, but I still know how to give CPR, and I still can start an IV because I have the confidence that came from practice. The military had me do rehearsals and drills for so long that I am confident and have the ability that I can go in and do those skills when called upon. And Khan Academy builds that same kind of confidence by having those rehearsals, the drills, and seeing those questions over and over so that although it may not be the exact same question they see, they're going to recognize the format and know how to approach and tackle that problem. Let's talk about how one takes the SAT. From when I was in high school, I remember it was a Saturday, it was in the school gym, and that was the only option available to me. And I assume that's still the case, right? It is not the only model. So Bruce, back when I took it, it was that was exactly the case you know, over really the last decade. So going back to 2010, as we really looked at the SAT as an access forward assessment, one that opened doors for students to college and scholarships, as I've now talked a lot about, we really took a hard look at as an organization at who was actually taking the SAT. Was it having that access and mission-driven drive for students, including underrepresented, first generation to college, lower income students that we have always wanted it to have. And looking at that really led us to make in a large investment in an innovative new way to make the SAT available to students, which is called SAT School Day. As the name suggests, this is an opportunity for students to take the SAT. It's usually administered spring of junior year. Some states and schools choose to put it early fall senior year. But this is where it can be an entire state who pays for this and makes it available to every student in the state. It can happen at a district level. It can happen even by an individual high school. So it's kind of those three levels. But they make a decision to use essentially generally public, you know, public funding, budget money, to make the SAT available to all students, again, in that state, district, or high school in that cohort, juniors or seniors. And students then take the SAT during the school day in their school building, 99 out of 100 times free of charge to them. There's a few tiny exceptions, but generally speaking, free of charge to them. And this has been an incredible way for us to get the SAT to students who otherwise may not have had access to it. And that could be for a number of reasons. It could be students who felt that they weren't college material and thus kind of opted out of signing up for the Saturday SAT model where they and their family were paying. It could be financial worries. It could have been logistical worries. Uh, how do I get to a test center on a Saturday morning? Or I need to work or care for siblings. So this has been a huge way to expand access to the SAT for all students, um, but especially those who were least connected to it before 2010. Could you talk a little bit about fee waivers as it applies both to school day and to other Saturday test administrations? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So within, I'll start with school day first since I was just talking about that. I'm going to just speak broadly because there's tiny exceptions in a few places, but let's just think of school day as one where the, the student and parent don't pay. It's again, it's part of kind of the education funding and budget at that state district or individual school. In that case, it's free of charge to students, so there isn't the need for getting a fee waiver per se. I'll share with you all, just in case of an interest, if you are a district or a school that administers school day, they work with us to let us know how many lower income students they have, and we do fee reductions to them. So they're not paying full price for every student to us, but again, free of charge to the students who, who take the assessment. On the Saturday model, the traditional way, a historical way of taking the SAT, we do have a program called uh, the Fee Waiver Program, which gives students who are eligible, it's generally through family income uh, with free and reduced price lunch as the proxy, but there are some other different criteria available on our websites for, for students and families to look at. But getting a fee waiver as a student entitles you to two free Saturday SATs. It entitles you to six free subject tests. Those are, were known as the SAT twos back when I took them. It also, in partnership with many colleges and universities, will waive the student's college application fee. Um, so it's a really beneficial set of fee waivers that we're able to bring both through our own assessments but also in partnership with colleges and universities. Um, and this is something that students and families can learn more about online and high school counselors are especially well equipped to work with students to identify who needs them. Another question, my understanding is school day is not offered in overseas schools are there any exceptions to policies that we allow that to happen? There are, and Bruce, I think you've been a big part of that. So actually, I'll turn it back to you, but if you want to share what we've been able to make available. Odia schools are the one exception where we allow it uh, to happen, although unfortunately at this point, no Dodia schools have taken us up on that offer. We continue to make it available to them so that they can provide the test during the school day to students there. That could be particularly helpful if COVID continues into the fall, because we have seen places where the National Test Administration overseas has been canceled because, the, you know, in Japan, for example, Japan closed all the schools. They said no large gatherings, no. But had the Dodia schools in Japan done school day, they could have done it even though the country of Japan had closed down its schools. So it does give some freedom to those folks overseas. What is the best predictor of college performance? Putting GPA and SAT score together has been shown through uh, very broad and large studies and then studies run by colleges and universities themselves to be the best predictor of how students will perform in college. And so there's, there's a lot of research out there, but as I said, it's not only kind of wide-scale general research, but individual colleges and universities who are looking at their policies and how they attract students and admit students have run their own very intensive analyses to this point. Um, and, and it kind of always comes back down to pairing those two things together is the best predictor of, of how um, students will perform in college and thus is the reason that most colleges, and again, I'll say pre-COVID, were requiring the SAT or ACT so they could bring that together. They still, they're still hungry for that data. So I think we can talk some more about how students and families should think about test optional this year and in general, but it is a very important data point that colleges, uh, including those that are test optional, really appreciate having. 
I think that as we go forward, particularly with the COVID challenges, the more opportunities we can offer uh, for people to be seen. But I also think some education professionals like having the SATs as well. There is something known as grade inflation that occurs out there, and the SAT helps balance that, particularly with our students who may be in schools that aren't as well known. Having that additional quantified uh, measure so that schools can see that they are capable. Not everyone understands the rigor of education that occurs in Dodia, Ankara, as opposed to Sidwell Friends in DC, you know, a prep school that is very well recognized. So what is the impact of COVID going to be on testing this fall? Yeah, that I want to share and be really transparent with you all about kind of the impact COVID has had so far on the class of 2021. So as I mentioned earlier, Many students start taking the SAT sometime in the spring of their junior year. At the beginning of this year, January, February, and, and almost in March, they were really tracking along the way that we see testing happen every year. Starting from really mid to late March onward until this point today, we have not been able to give the SAT anywhere in the world because of closures and, and concerns out of student and educator safety. Where that's left us, is with an estimated 1.1 million students in the class of 2021 who don't yet have an SAT score who would have if the year hadn't been disrupted by COVID. That's the gap that we are working really, really hard to close so that we can get every student who wants an opportunity to take the SAT this year, class of 2021 student, the, the chance to do so. So I'll talk a little bit more what we're doing and, and what the commitments are that we've made to students and families. Now, and this is all available on, at the College Board's SAT website. It's all publicly available. This is what we're planning to do to try to get as many students who've missed a chance at the SAT or who perhaps want a second chance this summer and fall their opportunity in the face of COVID. So we plan, we're very committed, to start resuming testing on August 29th. All of this has to be caveated with COVID-19 conditions as they change on the ground. We are going to have to react accordingly, but this is what we are fully prepared to do, COVID allowing. So the first test date that will be available to students is August 29th. September 26th, which is a brand new date, we normally do not administer the SAT on a Saturday in the month of September. We've added that because of COVID. Saturday, October 3rd, November 7th, and December 5th. So there every month, August through December, there will be a weekend administration of the SAT. All of those are available domestically and all but November 7th are available internationally. So there's a, a number of opportunities. September 23rd and October 14th, those are the school day SAT dates. So if the school your child attends will be administering SAT school day, they have been given and will soon choose formally between one of those two dates, September 23rd or October 14th. These are, you know, our plans. Registration for, for all these weekend dates, not the school days, dates has been open for about a month now. And so if your student goes to the SAT website for College Board uh, to register, they have all of these dates available to them. I do want to share that because of that gap of 1.1 million students, there has been unprecedented demand for these test dates in a way that we don't see in a regular year. There's actually usually a very 
predictable kind of ramp in terms of how students sign up for SATs each year. We're not seeing that this year because uh, testing has been on hold for so long for both us and ACT. And so we are seeing a lot of activity in terms of signing up for the August 29th date in particular, followed then by the September 26th date. And so I share that because if you have a student who wants to take the SAT you know, late this summer or this fall, especially if they're in the high school class of 2021, we encourage you and your student to, to go online and, and start the registration process. For that August date, there are some key areas in the US and some internationally where capacity testing seats uh, that are available through the test centers are, are largely gone or nearly entirely gone. And we have a public-facing uh, website. We'll make sure to share it uh, either during this chat or, or shortly thereafter. But there's a public-facing website that tracks the 25 domestic markets that have the tightest capacity right now so that students and parents can uh, make themselves familiar with that. But really the thing to do is to get into the registration system, choose the date or dates that your student wants to test, put in the area you're in, you'll be able to hopefully find a seat. And if not, we encourage, if you're looking for August, consider September or October. For early decision deadlines for colleges or early action deadlines, check with your particular colleges and universities that your student is planning to apply to. But by and large, the August, September, and October test dates give your student time to take the test and submit those scores as part of their early decision application. And for students who are, will be applying regular decision, all of these test dates give them time to take the test and submit those scores in time for regular decision deadlines. And the link for the website where they can go check those things is included in the resources for the future of the SAT. Can you talk a little bit about the November 7th date? That's the only one of those that is domestic only. Jodia overseas will not be offered on that date, correct? That is correct. So for all of uh, these other dates, it is domestic and international, including DODIA schools. For November 7th, that is historically not in, uh, an international test date. In the face of COVID, we did add November 7th as a date where students can take uh, the SAT subject tests internationally. The main SAT will not be available internationally on November 7th. Let's talk a little bit about virtual testing, uh, at-home testing. I know we announced we were going like, to give that a shot. We did that with AP testing this spring, and we learned a lot of things from that. Where do we stand with virtual proctoring at-home testing for the SAT? It's a great question, and you're right. So uh, in the early days of COVID, I think this puts us sometime in early to mid-April, we made an announcement about all those test dates and the addition of a Saturday test date and the addition of a school day test date. And we also said that we would be working to develop an at-home remotely proctored SAT for this year for students who found themselves not able to go take one in person. About three weeks ago or so, made a series of announcements, which included announcing that we will not be pursuing an at-home uh, remotely proctored SAT for this year. That was a really carefully considered decision and a tough one, frankly, for us to make. Really what it boiled down to for us was that the SAT is a three-hour long assessment. And for those scores to be valid and accepted by colleges and universities, the security bar is very, very high 
which does mean that it, the test needs to be remotely proctored. That is not to help alleviate the anxiety and stress that we know that students and families were feeling. We want to make the SAT available to every student that we can who wants to take it. The SAT opens critical doors even in a year where many colleges are test optional and colleges themselves are telling us and students through their materials that test optional means that it's, it's an option but where a student or family feels that the test score their student receives on the SAT or ACT is a good reflection of what they've learned in high school and what they feel they'll be able to do in college, they should submit that score. It only helps, it doesn't hurt. Um, and that's a message that I know colleges and universities are trying to really get out to students, which is the flexibility was put in place because there are going to be some students who, who can't test. It's not safe to do so where they live. For others, um, they and we encourage students to take the chance. If you can take the SAT or ACT, take it. See how you do and then decide if you want it to be part of your application portfolio rather than um, closing those doors uh, preemptively. Great. Excellent explanation, excellent answers. I think we have taken all of our time and probably a little bit extra. Thank you so much, Priscilla and Bruce, for answering all of those questions. Thanks again, everybody, for being here today, and have a great day. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.